This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Damian Bulwa, Managing Editor of the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, what happens when a pandemic collides with California's terrible fire season? Health reporter and podcast regular Aaron Alday is back to talk about the danger of the smoke that has drifted through Northern California, the danger to people who might come in contact with the coronavirus, the danger to evacuees, and the danger to firefighters. Aaron, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me back. Aaron, you're like a podcast mainstay, a sort of a breakout star. We might have to spin you off into a new podcast. I don't want that, Damien. Okay, well, let's, <laughs> let's, let's keep it the way it is. You yeah. write, Aaron, in your latest piece, this is the disaster scenario the Bay Area has been dreading since March. What, what do you mean by that? I think that back in March when we first saw this pandemic uh, take off in the Bay Area and we first saw the cases climbing up and realized, you know, how much uh, this was going to affect our lives um, and what we were going to need to do to to get some sort of control over it with the social distancing and the masking and all that. Very early on, people realized that this was going to be an issue when fire season hits. And let's be honest, you know, the last few years, fire season is pretty much a sure thing in California, and it's become every year a real crisis event, um, sometimes like crisis events, multiple events. Um, and, you know, when they hit, when these this fire these, these fires hit, they are, um, I mean, they're catastrophic. And the strain on public health resources, on emergency resources, on hospitals and you know, all these different personnel is immense and we have enough heart of a hard time kind of keeping up with that in a regular fire season. But we knew back in March that coming into that, we were already going to be under the gun in terms of, um, you know, our resources stretched with handling this, this other public health crisis. Yeah. You, you know, you raised so many things that I hadn't even thought about, but I kind of want to start with the basics just in terms of, of health outcomes, Aaron, um, what do we know about uh, breathing in smoke and particulate matter, and then the the in combination with the problems that we know the coronavirus can bring. Right, that is sort of I think the 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 first thing that most people think about. Um, just just because you know even those of us who who aren't directly impacted by the fires right now can just smell the smoke in the air. That's that's the first thing you know I smell when I wake up in the morning. Um, I think about it all the time, and and we all get the sense that that's that's something to be worried about. I will say we don't. We don't really know, um, and everybody kind of hates this answer, um, but we don't know what impact that that pollution, that poor air quality is going to have on the coronavirus and on people's susceptibility to it. Um, the evidence on wildfire smoke and, and the effect it has on the population in general is actually pretty slim. We have some studies on it, but not as much as we'd like. Um, you know, there is certainly some evidence that we see an uptick in influenza and, and bronchitis and other sort of respiratory illness after we have a big wildfire event. Um, and obviously, 
individuals know. Like if you if you have respiratory problems, if you have breathing problems, people people with asthma, um, people who have kind of pre existing conditions certainly can feel the effects of poor air quality. So these are these are known things. Even people who are healthy will feel you know the scratchy throat, the cough, the burning eyes. So I mean clearly something is happening, but we just don't have a good sense of what that means for the coronavirus and if that if that really does make people sort of more vulnerable to being infected with it um, or to have a worse outcome if they do get infected, to have more serious illness, be more likely to be hospitalized, put on a ventilator, that kind of thing. I think for now, we kind of have to assume that it certainly can't be good um, and it could certainly make things worse. And so we should all kind of be doing what we can to protect ourselves, which is largely what we have been doing, which is staying inside and trying uh, you know, to not breathe the smoke. And it goes a little beyond that too, right? I mean, you you talk about uh, people who want to go to the hospital and be seen, people who are showing up to fire uh, shelters and evacuation centers. Um, but this has been a huge deal. Is it, are the symptoms that people have that that cause them to change their behavior when they think they might have the coronavirus, and now they might be having symptoms from smoke? Yeah, it's. I mean, that's definitely one of the one of the big kind of the big um, issues that, that doesn't get talked about a lot, which is, like you said, the the symptoms of smoke inhalation, so that coughing and the watering eyes and the sneezing and just sort of that respiratory um, discomfort is, it can very easily kind of look like COVID or at least, at the very least, if you like show up, you know, somewhere, if you show up in a hospital or a doctor's office, if you show up at an evacuation shelter and you have those symptoms, that means they're going to have to screen you. They're going to have to kind of err on the side of caution and assume that you could have COVID-19 and they're going to need to put you in a special isolation area. They're going to need to kind of take special precautions. And in hospitals, they're going to need to take those precautions too, which is just going to put an extra strain on resources, um, which are already stretched so thin, right? Like you're going to need to do testing. You're going to need to have the staff use their special equipment. There's just a lot that happens when somebody shows up with symptoms of COVID-19 that then gets put into place. So that's that's definitely a problem. Um, and there's also the fact that the symptoms of smoke exposure, so again, things like coughing and sneezing, if I'm asymptomatic with COVID-19, with the coronavirus, and I'm coughing, that means I'm much more likely now to be dispelling virus, right? Like I'm going to be spreading droplets. Um, even if I'm wearing a mask, which everybody should be, I it's more likely that that those droplets can get past that mask, right? And so just coughing and sneezing, all these things shouldn't be happening. I mean, we, we want to avoid those and avoid, um, you know, to, to avoid transmission of this virus. And that's just, you know, that's just going to be another complicating factor with this this smoke issue. Yeah, Aaron, across from my house is, is, is an evacuation center, and it's essentially one big room where they can put cots and, and bring out food and, and a lot of people can stay. So what's going on at the shelters now if you can't pack them with people that are fleeing from the wildfires? That's been a real conundrum um, already in this in this uh, in these fires. The main thing that they're doing, well, they're doing a couple things. One of the big ones is they're just opening more shelters. So I took I talked with the Red Cra- Red Cross on Friday, um, and they said they're they've essentially cut their capacity in half of shelters. So they're for each shelter, they're allowing half as many people as they would under normal fire circumstances, which means they have to have double the shelter space. Like, right, they have to open up twice as many shelters to accommodate the same number of people. So that's one thing they're doing. Um, they're trying to put people up in hotels a lot more, um, but we're already running into a capacity issue with hotels. Um, but that's been one solution. You know, 
in the past, we would also tell people go to a friend or family's house if, if you can. But that's kind of problematic now because we're all told that we shouldn't be staying with friends and family during this pandemic. Um, I think if that's people's best option, they should be doing that. But it certainly is something you want to be be cautious of. Um, you know, if you're going to go and stay with family, try to keep that social distance anyway. If you can camp out in your car in their driveway for for a couple nights, if if that's an option for you. So those are those are actually things that that are being recommended to these evacuees um, in this moment. Aaron, you talk about the way evacuees are coping. One other thing, it, 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 all these fires seem to be going on in places that are pretty touristy, places like um, the wine country and, and Santa Cruz. Um, and we're also seeing a lot of extraordinary things where, where, where tourists are being asked to leave town uh, to make room. Uh, what's going on in those, in those places? Yeah, we saw that in Santa Cruz County. Um, they put out an advisory where they actually told people to leave and not, not necessarily for their own safety, although I'm sure that was part of it but just purely to clear up rooms and hotels. Um, they wanted to get kind of tourists and out-of-towners out of these hotel rooms so that they could have that space um, to, to put up people who are evacuating from their homes, which I mean, I've never seen anything like that. I don't know if you have. We've both been covering fires for a long time. But, I mean, to have, you know, the shelter space be in such limited supply that they're actually, you know, booting people out of hotels to put in residence is just, um, I mean, that's pretty pretty big deal. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe the difference is in some ways is that usually when there's a, a fire going on, you don't, you don't go on vacation to that place. Um, but I think people are, have been cooped up for so long that, that for some people there, they were probably saying, okay, I'm going to get away to Santa Cruz after this terrible year. And then they get to Santa Cruz and all of a sudden, um, the vacation is a disaster zone. Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely the case. I mean, the truth is Santa Cruz has had an issue with people, with visitors and tourists um, kind of all along throughout this pandemic. It's been the same thing in Lake Tahoe and a lot of these other places that, like you said, it's been Californians who had their their summer plans, you know, just gone away and they're looking to get out of town any way they can. And Santa Cruz has been a hugely popular destination for people in the Bay Area. So, yeah, I think and Santa Cruz has actually had a little bit better time with the pandemic than the Bay Area. So I think you've had a lot of people thinking that's that's a reasonable place to go and get away. And like you said, now they need to boot them all back and, and send them home. Aaron, I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to ask about danger to firefighters and also about the masks that people should wear for both coronavirus and for the wildfire smoke. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa, joined by health reporter Aaron Alday. Aaron, this uh, issue of wildfire smoke that I think everybody is seeing in the Bay Area and all around Northern California also brings up the masks that we've been wearing all year. Um, what do people need to know about uh, wildfire smoke and masks? It's a really interesting uh, dilemma, and I laugh, but it's it's not funny. It's it's just um, you know it's one more one more thing for us all to be thinking about. So you know everybody should be wearing face coverings right now. We all know that we've been told that over and over again to to help prevent uh, spread of the coronavirus. Um, 
the N95s were told, don't wear those because those need to be saved for hospital workers. We have a low supply of them. They're just kind of a, a really scarce commodity, and they really need to be saved for people that are working in hospitals and other healthcare settings. So everybody's told to wear these, these cloth masks, these surgical masks, whatever kind of you can get your hand on to wrap around your face. Now we have this wildfire smoke where the truth is those kinds of masks are not effective. Um, the only kind of mask that really is helpful with the wildfire smoke are the N95s. Um, so the last thing we, we, we don't want people going out and, you know, buying N95s or trying to get access to them. I don't think they even could because they're so hard to come by. Um, you know, they should just, the, the truth is people should just kind of keep doing what they have been doing, which is wear their masks. Um, but they really need to be avoiding going outside as much as they can, um, and not breathing in that air, especially if they have, you know, a, a respiratory condition that, that makes them more vulnerable to, to this bad air quality. One thing that was interesting was um, UCSF folks said the other day they were talking about the N95s and telling folks who are really vulnerable, who have asthma or COPD or some other kind of pre-existing condition and who absolutely have to be out of their home at some point or are really struggling a lot of those folks already have N95s. People kind of stockpiled that for previous fire seasons. And they're saying, you know, if you have to, you can reuse these. Um, it's not ideal, um, but they're saying, you know, just protect them. Don't let them get dented and dirty and crumpled up. Use them sparingly, um, you know, but but if you have to, you know, you can kind of reuse these things. Um, but but definitely nobody should be going out and, and buying N95s and, and trying to kind of get into that that stockpile. It does make me wonder if some of these things that that are becoming somewhat necessary that we never thought of in the past, like stockpiling N95 masks or buying a thousand dollar generator or a five thousand dollar you know, solar wall for your house. They, they seem to be kind of getting normalized here. And I do wonder whether next year um, everybody might have a ton of these things. I think that's very possible. I mean, I think a lot of people already have N95s because of last year, because of previous fire seasons. I certainly know people who do. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, I was talking actually again with the Red Cross on Friday and they were saying people in their you know, go kits when they have, we have our emergency kits for earthquakes, for fires, for all that, we should probably be making a habit of keeping face covering, surgical masks, um, hand gel, you know, sanitizing wipes, all that kind of stuff as part of our regular kits now too. Like this is just another thing that needs to be on our minds. One last topic, Aaron, I want to ask you about, um, because you wrote an article about it, is the firefighters. Um, early in the pandemic, we talked about how uh, we saw crews of firefighters who would be taken offline because they would be out in the field and, and they would have exposure uh, to COVID-19. And, and so the whole crew would be, would be out. But now you have teams and teams of firefighters out on these fire lines. And it's an issue too, right? Yeah, it's a big issue. It's definitely something that, that folks are worried about. Um, the U.S. Uh, Forest Service and CAL FIRE have both um, you know, been paying close attention to what they can do to prevent illness amongst the firefighters who, as you pointed out, generally speaking, they live and work in very close quarters when they're fighting fires. They live in these big camps where they all sleep kind of in bunks together. They eat all their meals together. Um, they drive out to fire, site, fi fire sites in, in the trucks with the windows rolled up, rolled up together. Um, and they're not you know, they're often not wearing masks. These firefighters are used to working in these conditions without masks because masks, you know, it gets really hot and it makes it a little bit difficult for them to work and breathe. Um, so there's just, there's a lot of factors that are at play that, that the idea is that it could 
mean that if you get one case, it could really spiral very quickly and take out a huge number of firefighters, um, which obviously we don't want that for the sake of the firefighters, but also as, as we've been reporting, um, we don't have enough firefighters. We are already very low on resources. We have too many fires happening at once um, and not enough people. So we need to just, we need to preserve these, these folks just as a, as I hate to say commodity, but you know, as the resource that they are. Um, and, and especially cause one case doesn't just mean that that, that person is now sick um, and maybe can't work. Um, it means that now a whole, a whole unit might have to be quarantined and they can't work. They have to be taken out of the field, which that's just, that's just the worst case. We, that's just such a disaster. We don't want that to happen. So what they're doing, they, they put a lot of thought into this. They started planning for this back in March. Um, and essentially they've, they've done away with those massive centralized camps. Um, they're not having the firefighters, you know, live in, in, in that space anymore. They're instead dividing them into these smaller pods. It's not unlike what we've talked about with schools, with classrooms in terms of having, you know, cohorts of, of, in this case, firefighters that are living and working together. Um, and the idea is that if one of these cohorts, you know, goes down, it doesn't take down like a huge, you know, unit of firefighters. It's, it's a smaller group of like five to 20 people at once. So that's, that's a big part of what they're doing to, to protect them. Cause there's not a lot else that they can do to, to prevent illness amongst these guys. I mean, they, they, they should absolutely be taking whatever precautions they can. Um, but there are some limitations to how much social distancing, how much mask wearing they can do when they're out there fighting these fires. Wow. Well, Aaron, incredible reporting. Uh, We appreciate you coming on again. Thanks again for having me, Damien. Good to talk to you. For all of the Chronicle's coverage of the ongoing wildfires in Northern California, go to sfchronicle.com slash wildfires. Thanks to my guest today, health reporter Aaron Alday, to Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.